0: Stand and open our Bibles to 1 Timothy. Look with us in verse 12. He says, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Mark that phrase, he counted me faithful. Now go with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. And the things that thou hast heard. Of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. I want to speak for just a few minutes this morning about investing in faithfulness. I believe there's a Bible principle here, and I'm convinced that God invests in good investments, and He looks at faithfulness as a good investment. That's why He said, Uh, Paul said, God. Counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. And we see that in 2 Timothy 4. Go with me there. This is where we'll spend most of our time this morning. In chapter 4 of 2 Timothy. Verse 7 says, I have fought a good fight. This is Paul speaking at the end of his ministry. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. I hope everyone in here at the end of their life can say those words I have fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. Here's what God does uh, God invests in faithfulness and He expects us to do the same. Now, that's what Paul did. Paul took his life and invested it in faithful servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look what He tells Timothy in chapter 3, verse 14. He not only sees faithfulness, but he encourages faithfulness in Timothy. And he says in verse 14, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned. You know, Paul's telling Timothy, go on, Timothy. Now, Timothy had gone to Ephesus. He had encountered problems. He was tempted to leave. And Paul encourages him to stay there, confront the problems, overcome the difficulties, and do what he needs to do. Let me just say this in the Christian life, all of us at some point, all of us, many times, not just during the year, but over the course of our Christian life, we're going to be tempted to quit in the most basic things that God stresses us to do and to be faithful in it in the Christian life. Soul winning, Bible reading, prayer, church attendance, tithing. You can't get any more basic than that. But here's what happens, as people grow weary, as people grow tired, as people get frustrated with life and the pressures and the difficulties, they stop tithing, that's always a step, and their Bible reading becomes less and less, and it goes from a few chapters to a chapter and a few verses, and the next thing you know, it's a couple times a week, and then it's just not happening. If it doesn't get read at church, it just doesn't get read at all. And then church is not seen as such an important activity and a service is missed here and a service is missed there. And it starts gradual, but it's the type of thing where we simply begin to let things slip. And here's what Paul was telling Timothy. Continue thou in those things. Timothy, if tithing was right when you first became a Christian, it's right now. If going to church was right when you first got saved, it's even more important now, Timothy, if you were a soul winner, when you were a young Christian, a new Christian, be a soul winner now. Go on. Continue on in those things. Then look what he says in verse 15. That from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation. All scripture, Timothy. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's all profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So Timothy... Don't just go on, but keep on growing. Grow on. Look what he says in verse 17. That the man of God may be perfect and thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So Timothy, at this point, had been with Paul for at least 12 to 15 years, and we probably see a very mature Christian, but he hadn't reached the pinnacle. Paul didn't say, you know what? You know enough. You've grown enough. You're okay right there. You can get comfortable. And Paul's encouragement and exhortation to Timothy was, Timothy, you need to grow on. Then look what he says in verse 2 of chapter 4. Go to the next chapter. Chapter 4, verse 2. Preach the word, Timothy. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. Said Timothy, you need to sow on. Here's what happens in the Christian life. We know the law of reaping and sowing, but because it takes so long to reap, we get discouraged sowing. And whether it's sowing the right principles in our children or whether it's sowing the right things for our future, whether it's sowing the gospel seed, we just get tired. The harvest is not as great as we'd hoped or expected. It just takes too long to see a result. And so sowing at some point becomes less and less. Paul said, Timothy, now that you've been in the ministry for 15 years, don't forget, you keep sowing. You preach the word doesn't matter what everyone else is doing. He said, here's what's going to happen. Verse 3, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Sowing won't be so popular. Preaching the word won't be so readily accepted. But what do you do, Timothy? You just preach on. They shall, verse 4, turn away their ears from the truth. What do you do when people don't want to hear? What do you do when people don't want to listen? What do you do when the seed is sown and it seems like everything is stony ground? You sow on. So here was Paul's advice to Timothy. Paul knew God's principle was that he invests in faithfulness. He blesses faithfulness. And Paul wanted to establish that same faithfulness in this young man. So he said, Timothy, you need to go on. You need to grow on. You need to sow on. You just need to keep on doing that which is right. Now look what Paul says. Because not everyone he invested in was of the same character or caliber as Timothy, chapter 4, verse 10. For Demas hath forsaken me. Now, you can hear the heaviness in Paul's voice. Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed. Now, this is not the type of testimony any Christian should have. Sad to say, every church in every city, every year... We'll have people that forsake the work of God, forsake the will of God, go a different direction, fall aside or fall away, turn away, as he said earlier in the chapter, because they just didn't continue. Now, here's what's amazing. They might not have had access to all the scripture or known 1 John 2 that says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loved the world, the love of the Father is not in him. But they still knew the principle. Now, folks, we have the written word of God, and we know the danger. Here's the problem. The world is tempting. The world is enticing. I mean, the bottom line is, if you look at the world, and you look at the Christian life, and you say, well, it seems to me like uh, they just have an easier time. Yes, they're not going to be attacked by Satan. Listen, all the pressure, you, you are just a weirdo, if you're even a nominal Christian, I mean, you don't even have to be fanatical about your faith. You don't even have to carry the Bible. You don't even have to act or dress like a Christian. Just occasionally state that you are one, and it creates a lot of additional pressure in your life. And you look at the world and you say, you know what? If I was a worldly person, I could probably get a better job. If I had more of a worldly focus, I could probably have a nicer house. If I forgot about my other commitments and missions and tithing and all the rest of that, I could probably drive a newer car. I could have a few more benefits and a bigger 401k. And it just seems to me like there are a few benefits. Yes, there are definitely some earthly benefits to being a worldly Christian. Demas took a look and he measured the two. He weighed the two and he said, the benefits of Christianity, I just don't see how they benefit me you know what, I think this world has a few additional benefits that I want to enjoy. And he took off, and you can hear the weight in Paul's voice as he said, listen, I invested. And here's the problem. We're talking about investing in faithfulness. Those of you that are leaders, you're Christians, you're workers, in your ministry, it doesn't matter if that's a school or clubs or a prison ministry or a nursing home, it doesn't matter where you've been, you naturally focused your time and energy on those that were most faithful And then sometimes it seems like after having discipled or invested months, maybe even years of our life in that person, and then they leave, give up, go astray, fall into sin, you get discouraged. Because, now I want you to see, when you look at this list, there are two negative names, and all the rest are positive. But it's so easy to get focused on those that quit, get discouraged, give up that we forget hey for everyone that quits there at least a dozen that do right but the one that quits has all of our attention it's Demas that we remember it's Demas that we weep over it's Demas that kills us his Demas and Paul said listen I sunk time into that man go to me to Colossians chapter 4 you'll see several times in scripture Demas was listed among the faithful Colossians chapter 4 verse 12 Epaphras who is one of you a servant of Christ? Saluteth you always, laboring fervently. So who is Paul listing here? The faithful, good people. He said he's always laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Look what it says in verse fourteen. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Now go to me to Philemon, which is just a book past Second Timothy, where you were just at. Verse 24, Paul once again is listing the faithful. And he says, Marcus, Aristarchus, Demas, and Lucas, my fellow laborers. So Demas was one that Paul had invested a lot of time into. He had sent him out to hell. He would counted on him. And then one day, he got a letter. Couldn't get a phone call because he didn't have a cell phone back then. Couldn't get a text or an email. But somehow he got word, Amen. And Demas said in his note, Paul, I'm done, had fun, see you later. That's it. And he walked away, and all of those years of investment and his hopes and his dreams and the vision that he had for this young man, they're over. Now, here's what we do. When we invest in faithfulness, we have to remember that every man still has a human nature. There is no guarantee that anyone gonna finish right just because they start right but just because someone quits and just because someone goes astray and just because someone falls into sin doesn't mean we stop investing in people and occasionally taking risks did you know investing in people means you have to occasionally take risks I'm glad someone took a risk on me I remember years ago when we went out on deputation I was a young man 21 years old and I cannot even imagine, I, I look at those prayer cards and I look at those pictures and I can't imagine what went through pastors' minds. Here's a 21-year-old on the road, newly married, no kids, very little experience, saying, we're going to go tear up Argentina for Jesus Christ. Boy, I'm glad someone took a, a risk and took a chance on us and invested in us and sent us to the mission field and allowed us to see those churches planted. And here's what Paul said, go back to St. Timothy Chapter 4, look at verse 11. It says, only Luke is with me. Take Mark. Now, how many of you remember who Mark is? John Mark. John Mark, go back with me. Keep your finger here because we'll continue in this chapter. But go with me to Acts 13. John Mark was a young man that set out with Paul and Barnabas on the first missionary journey. Now, they hadn't gone far. In their trip, they just reached Cyprus. They met up with the sorcerer, Elemas. And look what it says in verse 13. After these experiences, now when Paul and his company lose from Paphos, they came to Perga, Pamphylia, and John, John Mark, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. So at the beginning of Paul's ministry, when he's getting out, He's ready to turn the world upside down for God. And they get on a boat. and Listen, back then travel was not the same. This was not a luxury liner. Uh, This is a little ship in a big sea and the waters were contrary. And I guarantee you, Mark got a little bit seasick. And then they got out there on the island. He thought they were going to preach and cannibals were going to come to Christ. But to the contrary... They run into demon-possessed people and people that didn't want to receive the word. They didn't even get a church started. And John Mark took a look and he said, listen, I've got to carry this pack and I've got to walk and I've got to ride on boats and I've got to put up with Paul and maybe he's a little short-tempered. And he said, I'm done with this. Now, at that point, Paul said, okay, leave. And when they came back, Barnabas, the exhorter, Found John Mark, took another risk, said, John, you know what? I'm going to invest some more time in you. You've got to learn to be a man. You've got to learn that the work of God is not as romantic as you might have thought, but it's worthwhile, and you ought to give your life to God, and you ought to do the right thing, and you ought to get some backbone. And he helped John Mark get up, and Mark later wrote the book of Mark and was used of God, and look what Paul said right there in 2 Timothy. Mark, who is profitable for me in the ministry... So when we talk about investing in faithfulness, that doesn't mean we invest in perfection. That doesn't mean we look around for people without faults or any failures or any defects and those who've lived a perfectly faithful Christian life. But those that have a godly desire, maybe they have some rough edges, maybe they have some failures, maybe they have some imperfections. But we say, you know what, in them we see a desire to do right and live right and serve God. And I'm going to invest in them. Aren't you glad that someone invested in you? Aren't you glad that someone invested in your wife, in your children, in your teenager? Aren't you glad for the workers around here that have invested on a club level, on a Sunday school level, in a school level? Aren't you glad we have Donald back there investing in teenagers? And listen, this world is all about using people and when they're done, you throw them away. That's not the Christian philosophy. The Christian philosophy is about I want to see this person go as far as possible, grow as much as possible, and be used of God in some fashion, some form, and that's going to take an investment. John Mark didn't look like, to Paul, the most perfect investment, but it turns out Demas, who he put so much hope in, turned back, went to the world, and John Mark, who he gave up on, ended up being profitable to him In the ministry. So you never know. John Mark was a penny stock that turned out right. I mean, he invested, Barnabas invested a lot of time in that young man, and it turned out to be a pretty good investment. Now look at some of the other names that are mentioned here in verse 10. It says, he mentions Demas first, and that's usually where our focus falls. But look, there are other names. Crescens, how many of you recognize that name? can tell me something about this young man and what he did for his local church. Anybody at all? No one. It's not surprising because I can't either. There's no other mention of him, no details about his faithfulness. Look what it says in verse 12. Antiochus. now the scripture does say a little bit about this young man. He was a servant who often delivered the epistles that Paul had written. Look what it says in verse 13 the cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus. How many can tell me something about Carpus? These aren't very well-known servants. But he said, when I went by there, so obviously Carpus was a hospitable man that had brought him in, and Paul trusted him because his cloak and his parchments and his books, these were all very valuable items, prized items, treasured items. And Paul said... When he housed me, that man, I trusted enough that I left with him my cloak and the parchments and the books, bring that to me. Aren't you thankful for those that have been faithful and never recognized, never seen, and even in their own local church, their sacrifice, hard work, and dedication is overlooked? I thank God, listen, before we ever walk in this church building, there are those that have already preached in prisons and in jails. There's some that you don't see this morning. They're not on vacation. They haven't quit on God. They're not distanced. They're not out of it spiritually. They're out there preaching somewhere. And when you see some of these fellow laborers walk into the services late, they're coming straight from a nursing home or from another ministry or picking people up or working in the back, bringing in some of the youth, laboring in our prison ministries. Thank God, not just for a year or five years, ten years, but some of these servants for 15, 20, or 25 years. Never seen. Having led hundreds. Listen, if we just post it up, some of these guys that are working in the prisons are seeing four and five and six, and some in past services, 18, 20, 25 prisoners at a service get saved. Walk in. If I said their name, you wouldn't even recognize their face. Hard to imagine. Miss Warren, in all those years, she's gone out to the prison. Winning ladies and patiently discipling them. Often with no help, no encouragement, no finances backing her up. Thank God for the faithful. I thank God for those that have worked in clubs. Thank God for those that have worked in the Christian school. Thank God for those that come in and work and clean this building whether it's in the sound room or the Sunday school. Miss Steph back there teaching that class for years and years, putting out some of the finest material on the planet. Amen. Brother Mike McDonald writing an RTP, that stands for Rescue the Perishing, RTP program to teach our young people how to soul win. Every Saturday morning, shows up at 9 o'clock with a smiling face, prepared material ready to teach our children how to soul win. Aren't you thankful for those that are never even noticed? Those were good investments. Now, we remember Titus and Timothy and the big names. But you know what? God actually notices all those others that were forgotten. And here's what we need to understand in the church. We need to get really thankful for the diversity that God brings to the body because everyone can add something that will help build the ministry, and oftentimes we don't appreciate that talent or that ability, that sacrifice or the faithfulness because we minimize. Don't minimize what God maximizes. We minimize that and say, well, you know, uh, you take all those things, although they're considered minimal or smaller, you take all those things and add them up, boy, you would collapse a church overnight if each one of those individuals thought his work was unimportant. Thank God for Crescens, for Tychicus, for Carpus. I don't know what else they did besides hold on to the books, the parchments, and the cloaks. Or deliver the epistles that were written by Paul. But it was all important. We got to thank God for those that have been faithful just forever. Have you ever known it that in a church? There are some people, they've just been faithful forever. I mean, you think back, and you can't ever think of a time when they weren't just faithful. It must have been that they were born faithful. Mom and dad pulled them out of the hospital, and they were just faithful from the very beginning. There are a few people that he mentions in here. Look what it says in verse 10. The first one he mentions is Titus. Go with me to the next book after 2 Timothy. That's Titus, chapter 1, verse 4. Now, we know Titus was a faithful young man who Paul had invested a lot into. It says in verse 4, To Titus, my own son, after the common faith, Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. For this cause, I left thee in Crete. Now, Titus had just been faithful. He said, I count on Titus. I know this young man will do exactly what he's supposed to do. Now, the Cretans and what was going on there at the church at Crete, there was a lot of fleshliness, and Paul left Titus to correct that and address that problem, and Titus did exactly that, stayed faithful there at the church at Crete. But we find him often mentioned in Corinthians too. We know he'd worked there at Corinth, but Titus has been faithful forever. Look what it says in verse eleven: Only Luke is with me. How many of you remember who Luke was? Luke, the phys- physician, called the beloved physician. Now, when we think about Paul, when we think about his ministry. We would say Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Silas, but who logged more? Miles on missionary trips than any of the other companions of Paul, most likely. Luke, the physician. Now, we don't see any famous message preached by Luke. And we don't see, we do see the book of Luke, but we don't see anything special done by Luke. He was simply a doctor. Now, he had his share of work as many times as Paul was sick and beaten and thrown out of the city and picked up for dead. Listen, surely Luke had his obligations and responsibilities, but he was probably simply a friend, a companion, a soul winner, a do-it-all type of person. But let me ask you this. When you think of Luke, you think of faithfulness. He's just always faithful. No stumble, no moment where he went back, no problem that he encountered that he said, okay, I'm done, I'm through, I'm giving up. Now look who else is mentioned in verse 19. Salute Priscilla, And Aquila. More people that we find in the Bible who are just faithful. Go with me to Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18. Look what it says in verse 2. He found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy, with his wife Priscilla. They had left Rome under persecution. Verse 4, he reasoned in the synagogue. They, uh, in verse 3, the Bible says... He abode with them. He actually stayed with them, worked with them. They were also tent makers. And then in verse 18, look what it says happened. And Paul, after this, tarried there yet a good while, and then took leave of his brethren and sailed thence unto Syria. And what did he do? He took with him Priscilla and Aquila, having shorn his head. Verse 19, and he came to Ephesus and he left them there. Now, Paul's going to come back to Ephesus, but he so counted on their help, he so counted on their faithfulness, that once he'd left, he was planning on staying a long time in Ephesus, and he left them there to lay the groundwork, get a house, uh, get some context, start seeing souls saved, and then he said, I'm going to come back. Now, here's what every pastor, leader enjoys, people who've just always been faithful. It's easy to take them for granted because you forget about them. They don't cause a headache. They don't cause a problem. You never have to find a replacement for them. You never have to make an excuse for them. They don't miss. Here's what you ought to do and here's the goal you ought to have as a Christian. Say, listen, whatever ministry, whatever talent, whatever ability, whatever position God has given me, I want to be so faithful in it that I can actually go unnoticed. I never need someone to step up because I forgot to do my duty or I just ignored it or I thought today it won't be that important. Here's what Paul said. When he was going through the list of his friends and fellow helpers, like we all do, we bring up Demas first, Right? We bring up the one that has fallen. Now I know several times in this book he mentions others that also went astray, turned aside, and fell into false doctrine, followed after the world. But that those that were faithful still outnumbered those that had fallen. But here's what Paul did. He brought up demons, and then he moved on. said, well, you know, really, I do have a lot. You know, he talked about being alone, but he wasn't alone because they'd all gone to the world. They'd all gone out. They were working. They were busy. They were occupied in the work of God. It wasn't like they'd abandoned him for some false doctrine. They had simply gotten busy and were doing God's work. And we forget, there are a lot, I thank God we could go person by person and ministry by ministry in this church and say, thank God for those with time who've grown into a position not of some special ability They don't get anyone's attention, no accolades, very little praise, normally unnoticed, but they're faithful. And that's what Paul was doing. He said, listen, God invested in me. I thank God he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. And then here's what he said. I'm going to take my time, my effort, my energy, and reinvest it in faithfulness. Look what it says in verse 16. Go back with me to 2 Timothy 4. 2 Timothy four sixteen. 16. And my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God that it not be laid to their charge. Notwithstanding what's Paul saying, the Lord stood with me. Now, he says several things in these verses. You ought to highlight them in your Bible. He says, the Lord stood with me. He strengthened me. That by me, the preaching might be fully known. That all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. The Lord shall deliver me from every evil work. He will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, when we get thankful for faithfulness, the first thing we ought to do is thank God for his faithfulness. Aren't you glad that you can count on God's faithfulness? You know, the same God that took care of me when I went to college... Is the same God that's meeting my needs 20 years later. The same God that enabled me, putting me into the ministry, give me grace, helping us start churches, strengthening us during those low times, valleys, and bad minutes, and bad moments, is the same God that strengthens us now. And here's what Paul said looking back on his life. He said, listen, I wasn't always faithful. Those that surrounded me were not always faithful. But the good thing is God was always faithful he stood with me when no one else did you know sometimes now it's simply not the truth but sometimes we convince ourselves that we're standing all alone what a pious spirit i'm the only one that's standing for right not really there are literally thousands hundreds of thousands millions, not just across this planet, but in the United States of America that are standing. You're not standing all alone. You may feel like you're standing all alone because you're standing in a lost world. You're standing in a place of employment where you're the only Christian in that environment. But you're actually not standing alone. And God is faithful to strengthen. God is faithful to deliver. God is faithful to preserve me, not just on a physical level, but a spiritual level. Aren't you glad that God is capable and faithful to preserve your salvation. Otherwise, we would have a serious, serious problem. Aren't you glad that God's faithfulness doesn't depend upon our faithfulness? Aren't you glad for God's patience? How many of you ever lost patience with yourself? How many of you, if you were God, you would have given up on you? How many of you, if you were God, you would have just gotten rid of yourself? You would have said, no, that's enough mistakes. Hey, you've you've, uh, fallen enough. You've blown enough. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to go ahead and remove you now to keep you from embarrassing yourself, your family, your church, and me. Now, look what it says in verse 19. Because here are the rewards of faithfulness. I know too often in the Christian life, people stop being faithful because they don't see the visible rewards. Verse 19, salute Priscilla and Aquila, the household of Nesiphorus, Erastus abode at Corinth. Trophimus, have I left him? might eat him sick. Do thy diligence to come before winter. Eubulus, Pudens, Claudia, and all the brethren. The Lord Jesus Christ be with thy spirit. Now, what is the reward of faithfulness? You know what the reward is? Paul was looking back and saying this. Go back with me to verse 17. There's a key phrase here. He said, The Lord stood with me, the Lord strengthened me. Then what does he say that by me, the preaching might be fully known and that all the Gentiles might hear, you know what the reward was? Listen, his first trip, he could have quit. I mean, after that first shipwreck, after the first demon possessed person that he encountered, after the first time he was thrown out of the synagogue or thrown out of the city, after his first stoning or his first beating, he could have and should have humanly speaking, he should have quit. Now why didn't he do that? He stayed faithful to the word of God, here was his reward. Churches planted, books of the Bible written, young men were trained. That didn't happen in a week, that didn't happen in a year, that happened over a lifetime of ministry. And here's what we want because we work for a day or for a year or for 5 years and we want to see an immediate reward. We don't understand that reward is accumulated over time. That reward will be seen in our children down the road. That reward will be seen in our marriage. That reward will be seen in heaven. That reward will be seen in those ministries. That investment in people doesn't pay off after two minutes or two months or even two years. I thank God when we went to Argentina, there were times we wanted to quit. We knocked on 5,000 doors before we saw our first soul saved. 5,000 doors. And then that man that got saved, Juan, showed up over to our house, not because I had witnessed to him, but because he found a track. He was curious. He lived next door, and he was drunk. So he came to the house Drunk, And I invited him, and and, and Kim looked at me like, what are you doing bringing a drunk into my house? (laughs) Now, here's what we do. We like to, during those moments, when it seems like nothing is happening, and God's not working, and His word is failing, and the seed is not producing, that's when we want to back up, give up, and quit. But that reward is seen years down the road. Now we get to go back to Argentina, take a look at the people that got saved, uh, take a look at the church that was started. Now we get to go to Mexico and see not just our children in the faith, but our grandchildren in the faith. Years later, you look at the investment. I remember when we went to Mexico in the first eight months, just trying to find a building, just trying to get started and just getting some converts and discipling and sorting through those who were going to stay and those that wouldn't stay. I remember years ago, one of our young men that we began investing in who was a great soul winner, loved God, but he loved soccer. And in between 2000 and 2008, during that eight-year period, Pachuca, the team that was in our city, they won the championship. Five times and won the international championship two times. They're the best soccer team in South America for a short period. Well, because he loves soccer and because the stadium was only five minutes from our house and where he lived, and because oftentimes the championship was two games and it fell on a Wednesday night, a Sunday night, there's a temptation. One Wednesday night, championship game. Alex wasn't in church. I knew where he was. <laughs> so, after the service that evening, I pulled up to his apartment, and I sat in my truck, and I waited. I had to wait about 45 minutes, but the wait was worth it, because here came Alex. His face was painted half gray, half blue. <laughs> had on his Tuso shirt and his soccer shoes and his big uh, pachuca flag. And he came a-whistling up, Pachuca. I knew Pachuca had won just by the smile on his face, but he came walking up, and just about the time he got in front of my vehicle, I honked the horn. He looked over, and his face fell. I mean, literally off his head, not the paint, the whole face. There was a look of shock and surprise, and I just got caught. And he just stood there, and I opened up the door, and I said, Alex, you got a second? What is he going to say? Oh, no, preacher, I'm busy. I said, climb in. He climbed in the car. And I said, Alex, listen, if you're going to be used of God, you better understand faithfulness. And I I want you to know something. I'm not going to invest one more day, one more week in you if I'm not for sure that I'm investing in faithfulness. And if a soccer game, which I enjoy. And I, I, listen, we went to games and I've taken Christopher to championships, but I'm not going to miss a church service for a soccer game. I said, Alex, you are going to be used of God and you're a soul winner and you're studying for the ministry. That means there are certain things that have to be sacrificed and faithfulness has to be your first priority. I can't make that investment in you. You know Alex never missed another service for a soccer game. And Alex is pastoring a church. Alex preached Billy's last missions conference. Alex has preached camps around Mexico. How is it that you take a kid with a big nose and a love for football, very little brains, and you see him pastoring a church and probably the greatest soul winner that we ever trained in the ministry? Because God invests in faithfulness. He wants us to invest in faithfulness. And the way to be used is not by throwing your talents and abilities up there on the platform saying, God, look what I have. I hope you're impressed. God says, I want to see one thing in you. I want to see faithfulness. And look what it says in verse 21 and we're done. 22. The Lord Jesus Christ be with Thy spirit. Here's the key. Pastor, how do I do it? God invests in faithfulness. He wants me to be faithful. I'm supposed to invest in faithfulness. How do I stay faithful? You better focus on your spirit. Isn't it funny that Paul didn't just say, God bless you and give you grace and peace and mercy. He said, God bless your spirit. Because if you're going to make it, it all boils down to your spirit. Because the battleground is the mind... And Satan will play with your mind, and when he plays with your mind, he's going to play with your spirit. And when your spirit goes downhill, guess what's next? Your soul winning, your Bible reading, your prayer life, everything that's good and right. And when your spirit is sour, and when you're low and you're beat up, you're going to back out of God's will. Paul said, may the Lord bless your spirit. Timothy, because Timothy, you're going to be attacked and you're going to have bad days and you're dealing with false doctrine and you're you're going to invest, Timothy, in young men at that church at Ephesus. And just like I had young men abandon me, you're going to have young men abandon you. And you'll have a few surprises and a few shocks and a few people that you never expected to quit, they'll quit. Timothy, last words of advice to you. May God bless your spirit. Timothy didn't have any leadership conferences to bless his spirit. Timothy didn't have a full library where he'd go pick out a book and say, well, I know that's an author that blesses my spirit. He had to say, God's the only one. I need to get a hold of God. And when I see all these factors in life affecting my spirit, they're going to affect my faithfulness sooner or later. And let me ask you this. If you are a good investment, are you investing in faithful people? Say, I'm going to move past my own little world. I'm going to get my focus beyond me and start investing in someone. That may mean discipleship, an additional ministry, additional time, additional sacrifice. Who are you personally investing in? But even in our ministries, here's what we do. We get so involved in the ministry and we get so involved in the details of the lesson or Some other aspect of our duty that we forget we're actually investing in lives and in people. And my primary focus and concern ought to be, that's an individual. That's a person there. That person has a face, a soul, a heart. And I'm going to take some of my time, some of my energy, and invest it. Because I know down the road, this might be the next Titus. He might be the next Timothy. I'll take the risk. And let's see what God does for